I don't know about you guys, but FPO has been so fun this year. I legitimately prefer it to MPO this season. I mean, it has been way more entertaining for me, and I have just thoroughly enjoyed it way, way more than any other season before this, and definitely more than MPO this season. Hey everybody, what is up? It's Antonio. Welcome to episode 5 of Teach Play Disc Golf, a Gladiator Disc Golf podcast. I am so excited to have you here with me today. I have a great show planned for you. We're going to talk about FPO. Uh, I've noticed over the last, well really the first 5 in the last 5 episodes, uh, we've talked a lot about FPO and I'll touch on that a little bit more here in a little bit, but we're going to start with that. I'm going to talk about uh, some disc golf I played this weekend during my birthday. Uh, we're going to talk about throwing with the wind. That is today's disc golf tip, throwing with the wind, in wind, how do we do it? Then we're going to review the Loft Discs Xenon. I am so excited for this disc review. I think you guys are going to like it a lot. And then we're going to review the Texas State Championships, which happened this past weekend on my birthday. So a lot of good stuff. So let's go ahead and let's get into it. This past weekend was so much fun. Disc golf, just in general, was an absolute blast. We had the Texas State Championships, and it was my birthday, and I played some disc golf. But I want to first just talk a little bit about uh, the FPO field, my my thoughts this season, uh, especially with Texas State's happening. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about my personal disc golf journey this weekend and share some insight into that. First off... The FPO field has just been absolute fire this year. Not only at Texas State, but just this entire season. It has been so much fun watching FPO coverage, whether it's live or post-produced. Uh, and I am not the only one that feels this way. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who have been enjoying FPO coverage this year, and there's good reason for that. There have been six unique winners this year, which is a record. The previous record was four to start off the season. We have six. Every Disc Golf Pro Tour event, Elite and Silver Series, has had a different winner this season, which is just incredible. I mean, that is something that you dream of having when you're a coordinator, when you're planning the Pro Tour. It's so good for the sport to have different winners. But for it to actually happen is something completely unique and is in its own you know, level entirely. And so the fact that this is happening is just phenomenal for FPO division. And that kind of leads me to my next point. So far this season, I have enjoyed watching MPO. I have. It's been a lot of fun. Calvin's been shredding it, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. But honestly, um, I have preferred watching FPO. The FPO division has been way more fun for me to watch. I've enjoyed it more. And there's a couple reasons for that. First, I am still not, you know, FPO skill level, at least, you know, for the top of the top. But I will say they are closer to my skill level. And so it's really fun watching them play and seeing how they execute shots, seeing how they perform on certain holes on the course. I'm like, okay, that hole was like this one I've played at this course and that's kind of how I did and how would I attack it. It's just a lot more realistic for me. I can't throw 700 feet, 600 feet, 500 feet. But so it's nice to like the MPO players can. So it's nice watching FPO be like, hey, I, I can attack this course like this. So closer to my skill level. Also, the new competitors that we're seeing Every, every weekend, um, the new winners that we're seeing, it's just making it so much fun. They're making a name for themselves. We're starting to talk about players that we used to not ever talk about. Um, I've been you know around disc golf now for five years. And I remember a time, with obviously within the last five years, where the conversation was very simple. Katrina Allen and Paige Pierce. And that was it. 
And that wasn't all that long ago. We're talking like 2020. That was the conversation. We we knew of this person, Kristen Tatar, uh, this European player from Estonia who was winning over there. And now she's coming to the States and she's competing in some events. But it really was the Paige and Katrina show. There were a couple weekends here and there where somebody else made a name, Sarah Hokum, who's obviously uh, a world champion, great woods player, really uh, unique playing style. She's forehand dominant and a couple others out there. But like we weren't seeing those players, Haley King, uh, Sarah Hokum and all like compete week in and week out. Jessica Weiss, Lisa Fakis. We weren't seeing them compete every single week. But now... Katrina Allen, Paige Pierce, even Kristen Tatar this season, it is not a walk in the park. They have to legitimately compete every week, not with just themselves, not with just each other, but with the entire field. And that has just been so much fun to watch because it just feels like every week you're wondering, who's it going to be? You know, when we get to Music City Open, it's going to be a really interesting question of, Who's going to win? Because uh, Own Scoggins hasn't won yet this year, but she's been close in every single tournament. So maybe it's her time, but we'll see. That'll be next week's episode because Music City Open is not for another two weeks, so we won't delve into that much more. But I've just prefer watching FPO. It has been so much fun. And if you have not been watching FPO coverage, I want to encourage you to watch it. Uh, even if you can throw further and play better than the FPO players, maybe you have a higher ranking than them, a higher rating than them, still go ahead and watch them and first off to support them. But also it's just been a lot of fun because you never know who's going to win. And it's not because the competition isn't thick. The competition is fierce and there's a lot of great women out there. So it's been a, a lot of fun to watch. So this weekend, this past weekend, I should say, was my birthday. And uh, because of that, I did not watch a lot of live disc golf. Uh, my weekend uh, or my birthday tends to kind of follow this pattern that maybe a lot of you guys have since you're disc golfers. You wake up, you maybe eat something, and you go play disc golf all day. <laughs> That's what it was for me. But I have a, a fairly unique um, tradition on my birthday that I've shared on social media and I'll share it here is that in 2019 we had the first ever uh, minus 18 round Paul Macbeth shot minus 18 at Waco and this was when the pars were a little bit higher excuse me <laughs> this was when the pars were a little bit higher we had some par fives that are now par fours and some par fours that are now par threes but at the end of the day, still a minus 18 round. And, you know, Waco's always like right around my birthday. The dates sometimes change a little bit. Um, but there's just, I've always enjoyed watching that coverage. I've always enjoyed um, just that tournament in general. And so every, every year on my birthday, I watch Paul's 18 under round. Um, I've gone back and forth between watching the uh, post-produced coverage with Paul and uh, with Paul with um, Big Germ and Nate Sexton and all, like just giving the coverage. I actually think it is. Come to think of it, it is not Nate Sexton. It is Jeremy Colling and Paul Ulibarri on the mic, and just watching it with all four players on the card. I flip sometimes that one, or I watch the one where it's another edition of Paul's 18 under round, but Paul is on the mic with Jeremy Colling and Paul Ulibarri, and it's only Paul's shots. And he just talks through the round, what he was thinking as the round was going on and that kind of thing. So really, really cool. I enjoy it. It's just, it's at this point, it's become nostalgic for me and I just uh, have fun doing it. It's something that I love going back onto Jomez Pro and scrolling through their stuff and looking for that tournament, 2019 Waco. It's a lot of fun. If you are fairly new to disc golf and you have not seen that tournament coverage or at least that round, 
you need to go check it out. It's 2019 Waco uh, final round. Uh, no, not final round. I believe it's round two. It is not the final round. I believe it's round two. 18 under Paul McBeth, Jomez Pro. Definitely go and check it out. Totally worth your time. It's really cool. You could either watch just the regular post-produced or the one with Paul, but I highly recommend it. So that's how I started my morning. That's how I started my birthday morning on Saturday. Put that on, drank some coffee, and just really enjoyed it. After that, my wife and I went to a town south of us called Columbia. Now, I've said this in a previous episode. I know most of you are not going to know the courses I'm talking about, but for those that are nearby, you'll know what I'm talking about. And also, just to kind of you know talk through my rounds, I want to talk about my disc golf journey and what I'm up to. And I hope that through these discussions, as I post reels and YouTube shorts about them, you'll get familiar with these courses as well. So we were in Columbia and the course was about 35, 40 minutes away. And it was one of the best days of disc golf I've ever had. Something about that day, everything was clicking. Every, I was firing on all cylinders. I had never played this course before. And, I, and we played it twice. Or really, I played it twice and my wife walked with me. She was awesome. It was, it was so much fun having her there with me. And honestly, that's probably why I was playing so good because I had someone to talk to. And just, you know, I wasn't solely focused on disc golf. Um, so that was really fun. And I just played really, really well. Um, I believe I shot five under the first round. And that was awesome. I mean, I was throwing really well. I was making some awesome putts. And then the second round we did. So the first round was like the short tees to the long baskets. So it was like short tees to blue baskets. And then the second round, we did the long tees to the short baskets or the red baskets. And a lot of the holes were just maybe longer extensions of themselves, or some of them were longer extensions. But this course, Woodland Park in Columbia, did a really good job of offering different shots for every tee pad. And then obviously, depending which basket you're going to, because both baskets were in, um, it was just really well done. That course is awesome. And so, yeah, so, oh, I actually shot minus six on the shorts to blue baskets. And then I shot even on the long tees to the red baskets. And there's a couple reasons why I shot uh, a little bit worse. The second round, uh, obviously fatigue, uh, is the biggest, is the biggest, um, reason in there uh, i have noticed that when i play tournaments my first round is normally better on tournaments where it's like two rounds in one day i normally play better round one and i was really excited to see how lunch in between rounds and everything was going to affect me without the pressure of a tournament and sure enough uh, obviously it was a different layout but you know fatigue was there it was just a long day and we the sun was out and it wasn't like temperature wise hot, but it was warmer than the weather we had been experiencing. And so all of that kind of came into play. So I shot a few strokes worse, but technically it was a different layout and I still really enjoyed it. I mean, it was just a really, really good time. And so I had a blast uh, playing that course. Um, it's a little bit out of the way, but I could definitely see myself going back. What was pretty funny is that, you know, my wife has come with me uh, every now and again to disc golf and she has seen me at my worst <laughs> when playing disc golf. We sometimes laugh that uh, when she comes with me, it's I look more like a lumberjack than actually a disc golfer. Uh, but I impressed her this past weekend. She even thought... <laughs> that I was playing really, really well. And she was impressed with some of the putts I made and some of my throws. And it was just a lot of fun. Things were just clicking. And, you know, it's one of those things where I, I, I can't help but say it over and over again. This month, the month of March, disc golf has been so much fun. And I've just absolutely loved it. So I wanted to just share that with you, share my thoughts a little bit about FPO, but let's go ahead and let's get into our disc golf skill on this episode. I am so excited to talk to you about this. 
Today's disc golf skill is brought to you by GiveGo. If you're unfamiliar, GiveGo is a coaching app. And if you send a video to me on GiveGo, I give you direct feedback with animated graphics and voiceover, coaching you through some improvements in your form. There's also an option to just have a face-to-face -face talk where you send me a question about, hey, how do I build my bag? Or what discs do you think I'm missing here that I can include? And I send you a video back kind of talking you through some of the decision-making process with that. If you're brand new to GiveGo, you can use code Regiro for a free session with me to kind of get your feet wet a little bit, see if you like it. So let's go ahead and let's talk about how to throw in and with the wind. Throwing with the wind is something every single disc golfer needs to know. It is unavoidable. There's hardly a day when you play disc golf and there's not even a little bit of wind. And so depending on your skill level, that little bit of wind can affect your disc. But obviously there are days when it's really windy and you really want to go play disc golf. So it's important to know what you need to do when you're playing with those conditions so that you can still enjoy disc golf, shoot well, and have a good time. So let's go ahead and let's start with headwinds. This is probably the most frustrating wind to deal with. Headwind is basically when the wind is blowing into your face. Um, think about it like if you were walking, wind is blowing in your face, kind of slowing you down, right? Well, guess what? The same thing for a disc. When the disc is in a headwind, it feels or it's flying slower. But here's the thing. The disc might be flying a little bit slower, you know, not like several miles per hour, but because the wind is going to be so fast while the disc is flying, it's going to start to turn a little bit more. And this is why you see discs turn over in headwinds. It's this aerodynamic uh, properties where basically what happens is even though the disc might be flying 40, 50, 60, 70 miles per hour relative to the ground, because there is this more, there's this wind coming, the disc in a sense acts like it's flying faster. And so when the disc flies faster than it's supposed to, let's say, it starts to show more turn in its flight. And so what's happening here in a headwind is that your disc is more likely to turn over. So what do you do? you throw a more overstable disc. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty of this kind of thing, I just wanna say, when I say overstable, neutral, and understable discs, think about that relative to your skill level. For some players, a neutral disc is going to be understable for other players. And it's even possible that for, especially for a beginner, an overstable disc is going to be a neutral disc for a more experienced player. So try not to think so much about what other people are throwing when we talk about this. Rather, think about what you are throwing and what is your overstable, neutral, and understable disc. So in a headwind, you want to take that overstable disc uh, because it's going to fight the urge to turn. Uh, you don't really want, most times, you don't want a disc to turn in the headwind. And the biggest reason for that is you can't control just how much it's going to turn. So that's why it's helpful to throw a more overstable disc. So, for example, my fairway drivers right now are the Lone Star Disc Mockingbird. It's 7.5 minus 2.1. If I throw that disc in the headwind, it's going to turn over. All right. Because it's already a fairly neutral disc. And so in a headwind, it's going to just turn over and be super flippy. So if I wanted to still get a same amount of distance, I would throw either a Brazos by Lone Star Discs or an Alpha. Those discs are competing for this slot right now. So an Alpha from Mint Discs. That disc is more overstable, but it's the same speed class. Now, in this case, the disc still might turn a little bit, but because it's naturally more overstable, it's going to more easily fight out of the turn, even in a headwind. If I really wanted to make sure that something didn't turn over, you could throw a faster disc that's also more overstable and that would prevent any turn from happening. But that's how you want to approach a headwind. Uh, I recommend not messing around too much with trying to play the turn. Now it's one thing if you throw like a destroyer type disc and it already has a little bit of turn and so it's gonna turn a little bit more like, that tends to be a little bit more of a predictable turn since the disc has so much fade already. 
but if you're trying to throw a neutral disc into a headwind and kind of guess how much it's going to turn, that is a recipe for disaster because it is out of your control. Because once the disc starts turning, it's a lot harder for it to fight out, which is why you want that more overstable disc. And now a tailwind. Tailwinds are, there's a reason why it's called a bombing tailwind. Tailwinds are a great way to get some extra distance. Now, here's the thing. A tailwind makes a disc fly more overstable. The headwind made a disc fly more understable, so that's why you use an overstable disc. But on the tailwind, if you throw the disc 40, 50, 60, 70 miles per hour relative to the ground, that tailwind's gonna be pushing it, so it's gonna be helping it get more distance, right? But the disc is going to feel more help, and so it's gonna feel like it's flying slower. So when the disc is below speed, all right, it tends to fade a lot sooner. And so what's going to happen here with a tailwind is that you're going to throw a disc and it's going to fade out a lot sooner. So how can you do, how can you fix this and still get a lot of distance? Throw an understable disc, all right? So to get more distance on the tailwind, throw an understable disc so that as the tailwind stables it out and basically makes it fly more overstable, you're going to get more of an S curve in your throw and you're going to get some awesome distance. So for headwind and tailwind, just think of these two things. A headwind makes a disc fly understable, so throw overstable to make it fly straight. In a tailwind, the wind makes the disc fly overstable, so throw understable to make it fly straight. It's that sort of opposites attract almost, it sounds like. And now uh, I want to go ahead and talk about the crosswind. The headwind and tailwinds are the things that you're going to experience a lot of the time. But crosswinds uh, is the other type of wind. And in a sense, crosswinds are trickier. And there's a big reason for that. Because crosswinds are going to affect just how much your disc can move along the fairway and it depends on how you throw the disc, whether it's backhand or forehand or overhand type throws. So the crosswind basically means the wind is blowing from left to right or right to left. Now, that's normally not that big of a deal when the disc is thrown nice and flat, but eventually the disc is either going to turn or fade. And so what happens is in a crosswind, either the, uh, flight, the bottom of the flight plate is exposed to the wind or the top of the flight plate is exposed to the wind. Let's go ahead and let's talk about what happens when the wind is exposed to the bottom of the flight plate. When the bottom of the flight plate has wind blowing under it, guess what? That glide is gonna turn into lift and the wind is just going to pick that disc up, which is why you'll see players when there's some kind of wind, they'll throw a hyzer nice, high and wide and they'll just let the wind do all the work. And so it's definitely a way to, you know, use the wind to your advantage, which is something I'm a huge proponent of. But when that wind, when the uh, bottom of the flight plate is exposed to the wind, you basically lose control of the disc. It is at the mercy of the wind. And typically what's going to happen is it's normally going to lift the disc and push it uh, further left on a right hand backhand or further right, depending on the wind, you know, on a righty forehand or on a lefty backhand. So that's something to keep in mind when you're dealing with the crosswind and what you're trying to get the disc to do. Now you can throw the disc nice and flat, but do remember that every disc tends to have a little bit of fade at the end unless it's super beaten and it finishes nice and flat and low to the ground. So even as the disc slowly fades, you're going to see a more exaggerated fade because of that exposed bottom flight plate in the wind. Now let's talk about when the top of the flight plate is exposed to the wind. Uh, we, you know, when the bottom is, you're going to get a more exaggerated flight, right? Well, now the top, when the wind is blowing into the top of the disc, that means that your disc is going to get pushed down. So when you hear these commentators talking about, oh, the wind pushed my disc down, it's because the top of the disc was, the wind was blowing into the top of the disc and literally, in a sense, pushing the disc down into the ground. And so in a crosswind, 
This is going to cause your disc to not travel as laterally as you may like it, which is not necessarily a bad thing, especially for a straight or a tight fairway. But if you need a disc to fade and you need, to need it to get over, you have to make some adjustments or you have to account for the fact that the wind is going to be pushing your disc down uh, when you throw it. Now, that's basically all the winds and kind of how they affect your disc and what you need to do. Uh, the crosswind kind of plays into this next tip I want to give with this. I strongly recommend, when possible, use the wind to your advantage. This is where having a balanced disc golf game comes into play. If you have a backhand and a forehand, you can, you can make the wind work for you. And that is so important in disc golf because the wind is always going to be there. So it's just a matter of, are you going to try and fight it? Now, there are some times when you have to fight the wind, but I want to encourage you the next time you're out on a windy round, if you are finding yourself, the first decision you make is like, oh, let me throw this to kind of fight and cut through the wind and, you know, work against it. Don't do that. Instead, change your idea, change your disc selection to something that's going to help, okay? What can you throw? How can you throw to make the wind help you? Now, the reason I say all this is because Mother Nature is undefeated for a reason, all right? And while you can't always control the wind and how much it's going to affect your disc, I have found that it's a little bit more predictable and a little bit easier on you and your score when you use the wind in your favor. It's already there. Let it help you. All right, I hope those tips about throwing in the wind were helpful and that you learned something new. Uh, if you did, go ahead and leave a review or a comment and let me know uh, what you thought about it. Throwing in the wind is always tough. By no means is anyone perfect. We see the top pro struggle on windy days too. But using these tips, understanding how the wind affects your discs can really help you uh, score better and have more fun. This week's disc review is sponsored by Loft Discs. They recently sent me a couple of their new overstable fairway drivers, the Xenon. This disc is a nine speed, three glide, zero turn, and four fade disc. Uh, I have reviewed every single mold in the Loft Discs lineup, starting with the Hydrogen Putter, then we had the Silicon Midrange, then we had the Boreum. Uh, high-speed distance driver, and now we have your control driver, overstable fairway driver, the Xenon. Uh, this disc is super, super cool. Okay, so flight number-wise, the Xenon is the same uh, as the Firebird and most other overstable nine-speeds there, but one thing that I have found in my uh, throwing with it is that this thing is beefy. Very, very beefy. Now, something that's really cool is it doesn't really have the uh, teardrop uh, rim like the Boreum does. It's a little bit more traditional uh, to your average nine-speed overstable driver. But the, uh, the rim here, right where your fingers would go for a forehand, let's say, is a little more rounded, which makes it a lot more comfortable. Now, there is some concern that this might lead to early releases i did not find that to be the case whatsoever if anything i found that i got cleaner releases because of that rounded edge because i didn't feel like the disc was just a sharp corner holding onto my finger to the very last second so i really like that little bit of a rounded edge here on the rim makes for an, a lot cleaner release when i spoke with loft discs on instagram they described the Xenon as between a Firebird and a Splice. So basically a FAF Firebird. Um, it is overstable. I am not kidding. It is overstable, um, but it is so comfortable. So here are kind of my thoughts about this disc. First off, I have it in the bag. Uh, I really, really like it because it is great for both backhand and forehand. It is obviously not something that I'm throwing all the time, but
but I feel like it's not the rim is not too wide for a backhand for me. The rounded edge makes it really comfortable. And obviously for the forehand, it feels great. Uh, I really like the way it feels in the hand. I can rely on its stability. I am not worried about turning this thing over, even when I throw it on some fairly steep Anheuser. That being said, this disc is also great for skips and flex shots. Um, it is just reliable. It gets some wild skips. I mean, it is almost, I, I think it's like a flare skip and you can literally like see the entire flight, <laughs> the entire flight plate of the disc as it skips up. It's literally looking at you when it gets on edge and skips. Like this is not a, uh, a calm skip. This thing is a violent skip. It is so cool and so helpful. I really, really like it on those touchy utility shots. And when I'm really needing something to get around the corner uh, pretty reliably and pretty quickly. This disc is fast at a nine speed. I know that's not distance driver speed, but because of its overstability, you're going to need to have a lot of power to get some serious flight out of this disc. Now, here's the thing. I like this disc. It's in the back. For me, it's filling that slot nicely. I've wanted to support loft discs for a long time. Uh, but this is the first, well, the silicon was the first mold that I reviewed that I like absolutely loved, but I just had so many Bobcats that it didn't make sense for me to switch. Well, I don't have a lot of overstable nine speed discs because I don't throw them a ton. Uh, they're more of my utility shot and headwind drivers. And so I can easily put the Xenon in and I am so happy to do that because I really enjoy this disc. But this disc is not for everyone. Yes, it's reliably overstable, but that doesn't mean everyone should throw it. There are other discs out there uh, that depending on your experience can be just as overstable, but give you more control and better flight than the Xenon. So I want to just come be forthright and you know be, in, be honest about that. Like, yes, I bag it. Yes, I like it. And I'm learning it more and more, but... It's not for everyone. I would say that this disc will really benefit players who can throw seven speeds over 300 feet. If you can do that, you have uh, a use for the Xenon if you don't have that slot filled already or if you're wanting to try something new. If you are not able to throw seven, eight speed discs over 300 feet, this disc is too fast and too overstable for you to be um, your nine speed overstable driver. I would recommend considering something like a Thunderbird or like a Westside Bear or Stag, uh, something that's still a nine speed so you get that uh, skip but not nearly as overstable. Uh, even some of the Lone Star Disc Mad Cats, or maybe like a Brazos or a Dos X, uh, or Dos Equis, um, those could work. But this disc is, is, it is a touch more overstable than a Firebird. And so because of that, it's not ideal for everyone. I use it really for utility shots. Um, I have found when I need a really big skip, or obviously if I have a pretty stiff headwind. But this is not something that I'm looking to like beat in and seize in and have it kind of cover a variety of slots in my bag. Like, no, this is going to do one thing for me. It's going to fly over stable and it's going to skip and that's exactly what I want it to do. So I hope that all makes sense. Um, if you want to try it out, definitely check out Loft Discs also. Check out uh, OTB Disc. I'm sure they and many other retailers will be looking uh, to get some of these in stock. But I love OTB. Um, I've been sponsored by them for two and a half years. They are absolutely awesome. So if you want to get these from Loft Discs or from a retailer, check out OTB when they drop. And uh, you won't be disappointed because I'm telling you exactly what to expect. <laughs> a fast, overstable disc. Now let's go ahead and let's transition from the disc review to talking about Texas State Championship. Um, 
I really enjoyed disc golf this weekend, like I said earlier, and part of that was because of Texas State. It was in Houston at Brock Park. Now, in last week's episode, I wasn't really sure what to expect from this course. I know it was a former uh, golf course turned into a disc golf course, which I think is really cool, and I got to say, it blew my expectations out of the water. It had way more trees and wooded lines than I was expecting. And you know, it's not like these players were in the woods, but they, the way they positioned the baskets and the tee pads and the lines and what they were asking the players to do, I just think they did a great job designing the course. Now, I think there are some holes that need some adjustment, but players could not just hyzer around everything. They had to hit lines. They had to throw through trees. They had to navigate some lightly to moderately wooded conditions. And I thought it was great. And I really think that Brock Park is a great middle ground between open golf courses and wooded uh, disc golf courses. I just, I think it is awesome. Um, it, it kind of brought the two of them together while giving plenty of space for galleries uh, to walk and for players to throw and for people to not feel restricted for the Disc Golf Pro Tour to make money and have spectators come. I just think that is awesome. And because of all those reasons, with some adjustments, I think this course will be back next season. I think there was just a lot of competition, good competition this past week that I don't think the Disc Golf Pro Tour could look at this and say, no, nah, yeah, we're going to move it again. You know, we're going to go back to Tyler, Texas, or we're going to go to another course in Dallas, or we're going to go to San Antonio or something, um, or even relegate Texas States down to an A tier, which I don't think would be a wise move. I don't know that this event is ready for Elite Series. I think it's going to need a few more years on the Silver Series to really kind of uh, find its place and get the layout where it needs to be. But I think it's pretty close. I think maybe after next season, it could be ready or another two seasons, depending on how it goes. But I think it's an awesome course. It was a lot of fun to watch. But one of the things that stood out to me the most was and I talked about this last week's episode, is that the course designers didn't just take the MPO layout, throw a couple short tee pads on and say, okay, FPO, here's your course too. No, if you watch the MPO layout and then you go watch the FPO players play, you're looking at different courses. You're looking at different holes uh, for the most part, which I think is just awesome. And Giving the FPO division a dedicated course, I'm not surprised that the women loved it. Uh, yes, there are always things that can be improved on a course, but it sounds like the general consensus was that, first off, the FPO division just felt honored that the course designers would put in the time and effort to make a course specifically for them in a silver series, um, which is huge. And I hope uh, that this continues to be a thing and sets the standard uh, for future tournaments, but I'm just so, so happy for them. We're going to talk about MPO real quick, and then we'll get to FPO um, because there's a lot to talk about there. But first, let's cover MPO and what that tournament was like. So I think it's fair to say that Calvin Heinberg is probably the best disc golfer in the world right now. I don't know if rating-wise he's number one yet, and even if he's not, he is making the case for being number one regardless of rating because he is absolutely killing it this year. He already has two victories on the Elite Tour. He won Las Vegas Challenge. Well, I guess technically this wasn't part of the Elite Tour. This was a Silver Series. But he already has two wins on the Disc Golf Pro Tour, the Las Vegas Challenge, and now Texas State Championships. And I just think he is primed for this year. He looks focused. His game is so clean right now. He's not making a lot of mistakes. His putting is great and consistent. And not everything is a tap-in. Like he's not just driving and doing really well. He is um, making some crazy putts. So definitely feeling it. I hope he continues to be this dominant. Obviously, he's part of the 1050 club, so he's always dominant. But I would love to see him give a run at Worlds and USDGC. I've talked about this next player quite a bit, 
this year so far because following last year too, he was always top five, top 10 in the running. Joel Freeman is on a mission this year. I don't know really like if something clicked for him or if just being fully on tour has really helped him, but he is constantly on lead card right now. And, you know, we could say like, oh, it's a silver series. Now all the pros are there. No, he's doing this at elite series events too. He's doing this at A tiers, obviously. Like it has been a lot of fun watching him play. And that's why I think for this season, he's basically the kind of dark horse. You have to keep your eye on him. He hasn't um, won an elite series this year, but he is coming close on that and silver series. And so he is always in the running. Right now, he's kind of in my mind like Owen Scoggins is in FPO. And once again, uh, Anthony Barella finds his way almost to the victory circle, but at least on the podium, tied for second. Uh, sorry if that's a spoiler. But uh, Barella is near the top again. Super happy for that. But also, James Proctor. Now, I uh, made a comment about this in a disc golf group that I'm on about how like James Proctor's playing really well. And I was, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I knew he was a good player from what I heard. And I know that his, uh, his form, although a little unique is fairly, um, fairly replicable for players because there are some good fundamental pieces, but someone was like, as someone who's in the California area, like James, I'm not, they were saying, I'm not surprised that James Proctor is doing this well. He's on full tour this year, uh, fully on tour this year. And so get used to seeing him basically. And I am here for it. It is awesome seeing another MPO player or rather an MPO player that's been around for a while, but finally committing to a full tour and doing so well. That is absolutely awesome. And we're just seeing the MPO division get flooded with talent. Um, It is incredible to watch. And I am hoping that we start to see uh, some some more players who are uh, maybe not necessarily new players, but they start finding their way onto lead card a little bit more and giving people like Paul and Calvin and hopefully soon he comes back, Ricky, like giving them a run for their money with these wins and you know maybe even stealing some victories from them would be awesome uh, because I think just that heightened uh, c- competition is good for the sport. Um, at least it's good for the spectators. Maybe it's stressful for the players, but I know for us viewers on TV and spectators in person, like you love to see something coming down to the wire. Okay, now let's talk about FPO. We'll get to results here in a little bit. But congratulations, Sai Ananda. What an awesome weekend. You deserve it. You played so, so well. Um, she is a straight up baller. Like, I don't know uh, if you guys follow her on Instagram. I just recently started following her on Instagram and she made a post. I think it was something along the lines of 100th career event, 56th career win. <laughs> she is absolutely killing the competition. And this is her first Disc Golf Pro Tour event win. Uh, she is fully on tour this year. The last year or two, she's been showing up at some events. She's from Washington State. Uh, Super, super happy for her. She held her own. She proved that she belonged. I mean, she does not have a forehand. And she played in some of the craziest conditions on Friday and Sunday against players who had great forehands and and who could execute some shots and some angles a little bit better. And she said, that's okay. I'll just throw a turnover with my mace. Or I'll just throw a turnover with the warship. And it's just like incredible stuff. So Sayananda, awesome player. One thing that I want to point out um, in case you haven't watched her play, um, definitely go check out Post Produce. I encourage Post Produce once, uh, you know, it's a couple days after the event, unless you have like three, four hours to watch the live coverage. Um, Watch the way she throws. 
Her form is very simple. She doesn't have a lot of unnecessary movements. And like Nate Perkins pointed out, she keeps her walk up or X step very short. It's something like she only uses like a third or half of the T pad. There are a couple reasons for this. It's obviously her preference and it may not be everyone's preference, but there are some benefits to it. And something that Nate talked about and even Holland Hanley, uh, who was also on the mic commentating, was discussing is that this is on post-produce, that is. Basically, that shorter walk-up, that shorter X-step helps her maintain balance even on the wet T-pads. And so if you struggle in inclement weather with wet T-pads, try shortening your walk-up and your X-step, simplifying your form. I think we can all learn a lot from Sayanana because here's the thing. She had that short X-step, that short walk-up. She was still crushing the disc. She was not just throwing it like 250, 300 feet. She was throwing it out there. And so she is a great, great player. I'm super excited to see her continue competing. Now, I don't know of any tournaments this upcoming weekend, the first weekend of April, at least nothing for you know the pro tour. I couldn't find anything when I quickly looked through PDGA. So I don't think there's anything happening this weekend, but that's okay because Music City Open is next weekend. And so in next week's episode, we'll get into that. We'll make some picks. So there's no um, tournament preview for this episode. So we'll just go ahead and let's look at the FPO and MPO results. Okay, in MPO, we had Calvin Heimberg in first place at minus 33, a five-stroke lead over second place where we had a tie with Anthony Barella and Joel Freeman at minus 27, For solo fourth place James Proctor minus 26, fifth place Alden Harris minus 24, I believe Alden had a 10 or 11 under final round, uh, awesome stuff, minus 24. Two-way tie for sixth place, Nicholas Antilla at minus 22 and Ezra Aderhold at minus 22. Ezra has been finishing top 10 a lot, and I love uh, Nicholas Antilla is one of my favorite players, him and Jakob Semerad uh, from the Czech Republic, some of my favorite European MPO players. Super happy to see him uh, finish that high. In eighth place, we had a two-way tie between Aaron Gossage and Kyle Klein at minus 21. And in 10th place, we had another two-way tie with Brody Smith and Chris Clemens at minus 20. So the MPO division had 13 strokes separating first place from 10th place, but seven strokes separating second place from 10th place. Calvin was just on another level. He was just on another level shooting six strokes. I said five. He shot six strokes better, minus 33 to second place, minus 27. Absolutely insane. Now let's go ahead and let's look at FPO. We had Saya Nanda in first place with a minus 20. Okay, you know, we deal, we have these courses where the FPO players are just given shorter tee pads, but the holes aren't really designed for them. And it's like the winner might shoot a minus eight or a minus 15. And it's like, that's cool and everything. But we see a lot of players over par. It is so cool to see that the first over par player, like actually plus something, not just even, but plus, is 23rd place in FPO division. That is just awesome. And so this is what I'm talking about when I'm saying like the fact that this course was specifically designed for them and highlights their skills and capabilities is awesome. Sayananda, first place, minus 20. Second place, Kristen Tatar, minus 16. Third place, Onskagans, minus 16. Excuse me, Kristen had minus 17. Onskagans, minus 16. Fourth place, Holland Hanley, minus 15. Katrina Allen and Jessica Weiss tied for fifth at minus 10. Missy Gannon, 7th place, minus 9. Cap Merch and Aria Castruida tied for 8th at minus 7. And Solo, 10th place, Emily Beach at minus 6. So we had 14 strokes separating the top 10 players, which is awesome um, to have that close. But really similar to MPO, Sai was a couple strokes ahead of everyone else. And then so from 2nd to 10th place, was 11 strokes, and then it just kept getting smaller and smaller as you go down. So the fact 
that we're seeing so many FPO players under par. We're seeing the gaps narrow. Um, it's just really, really exciting. You know, I am I am hopeful that Owen Scoggins can win an event soon. Um, she had some incredible putts this weekend. But I am getting more and more nervous that my um, that my prediction for this season and for FPO in general is coming uh, is coming true sooner than even I expected. We're just players that can throw really, really far or just really far, even if they're not putting as well, are going to continue surpassing own whose max distance I think is like 315, 330. Um, Even though she approaches and putts well and putts better than most other FPO players, these courses, although like this one was um, designed for FPO, it's still like she was outmatched in some ways and you could see that when she would throw the disc. So I'm hoping she can win something this year. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen and when it'll happen. We can just keep hoping, but she has been consistent in the top five, top three. So when you're making your grip six picks, guys, it is a safe bet to pick Kristen Tatar and Owen Scoggins and then Pick another random FPO player because you never know who is who's it gonna be. Uh, but that's basically it. Those are the results for this Texas State Championships. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. We talked about a lot of different stuff. Talked about FPO. Talked about my disc golf journey. We talked about throwing in the wind and with the wind and how to use the wind to your advantage. We reviewed a brand new overstable nine-speed driver from Loft Discs called the Xenon. A lot of good stuff. I am so excited for this season. I hope you are enjoying this podcast, this show. I know I am. So that's all I have for you today. I want to remind you of two things, and then I'll wish you well. Remember to teach someone disc golf this week, whether that's taking someone to the course for the first time or just giving someone encouragement, helping them with something, teach them something new. And then go out yourself and play disc golf. Have fun. Enjoy it. That's why we love this game. We can do it solo. We can do it with people. But disc golf is just fun. Uh, I can't wait. I played earlier today and had a blast. Took some video. It was just great. So I want to encourage you to do the same. That's all I have for you today, everybody. Until next time, have a great round. Mm -hmm.